Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles today and go with me to Daniel chapter 3. Last week we looked at Daniel chapter 4. As I talked to you about the spirit of our culture, I exposed the spirit of our culture. Anytime you expose one of the enemy's spirits, he gets angry. But we exposed the spirit of Babylon last week. This spirit that is behind our culture that was personified in this king named Nebuchadnezzar. We saw last week that at the end of it all, God humbled Nebuchadnezzar. And I truly believe that Nebuchadnezzar is in heaven today because he gave his life to God. Daniel chapter 3 chapter preceding that Nebuchadnezzar is not quite there yet he is still full of the spirit of Babylon full of arrogance and pride and this morning I want to continue to talk to you about being one nation under God we've got a very important election coming up in a couple of days we need to be on our knees you may have already decided what you're going to do But that doesn't mean that we don't need to continue to stay on our knees between now and then, that God's kingdom would come and God's will would be done on this earth as it is in heaven. One of our great presidents, Ronald Reagan, made this statement. He said, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. That's a true statement, isn't it? That if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, that we will become a nation gone under. And last week, I asked the question, are we truly a nation under God? Are we truly a nation under the influence of God? Or are we a nation under the influence of our culture? Remember this statement that I made last week that says we either set the culture or we reflect the culture. We either set the culture, that is we have some kind of a positive godly influence on the culture, or we just reflect culture. It's the difference between being a thermostat and a thermometer. A thermostat determines what the temperature in the room is going to be. A thermometer only reflects what the temperature is. God doesn't want you and I to be thermometers. God wants you and I to be thermostats. He wants us to set culture, not reflect culture. Jesus said it like this in the final prayer that he prayed in John chapter 17. He said, my prayer, God, is not that you take them out of the world because that's our first response. We want to retreat. We want to run into our church buildings and get as far away from sinners as we can. But that is not God's will. Jesus prayed and he said, Lord, I 
I don't want you to take them out of the world. I need them in the world. I need them to be salt and I, I need them to be light, but I want you to protect them from the evil one who is in the world. And then he said this, he said, they are not of the world even as I am not of it. And as I said last week, when we identified the spirit behind our culture today, we, we have got to, the, the, the challenge is, how can we be in the world but not of it? How can we be a part of culture but not of culture? And so this morning, I want to talk to you a few minutes on how to live a stand-up life in a bow-down world. How to live a stand-up life in a bow-down world. And there is no better example of how to live a stand-up life in a bow-down world than Daniel chapter 3. I know you've heard this story probably more than any other story in the Bible. I'm sure that, that you have probably read this chapter every which way it could be read. You've probably heard it preached every which way it could be preached about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and the fiery furnace. How many of you have heard that story before? Let me just see your hand. Yeah, I've, I've heard it told many, many times. But every time I read Daniel chapter 3, the Holy Spirit gives new revelation out of this passage. And I'm just going to warn you now, we're going to look at this entire chapter today and talk about how to live a stand-up life in a bow-down world. It begins in verse 1 where it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. 60 cubits high and six cubits wide. That would be 90 feet tall and nine feet wide. This golden image sat in the middle of Dura, which was in the province of Babylon. Now, you remember last week I exposed the spirit of Babylon. That the word Babylon comes from the word Babel, which means to confuse. And anytime you and I take a path other than God's path, it's going to end up in confusion. It, it is a spirit. Let me, let me just tell you something about Babylon. Babylon, and I said this last week, it's not just a locality. And today, that dirt is Iraq. But Babylon is not just a locality. It is a mentality. It, it is a spirit. A spirit that says, I am and there is none besides me. And it's personified in this king called Nebuchadnezzar. I am and there is none besides me. We saw that last week, but God humbled that out of him. But in chapter 3, he builds this golden image that's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide to represent him and his culture. And listen to what he said in verse 2. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasuries, or the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. That's the second time already that we've seen the word image in this passage of Scripture. I want you to highlight that word in your Bible. I want you to underline it, and I'll tell you why here in just a few minutes that word is so important. And then in verse 3, it says that the satraps, 
the satraps, the satraps, there we go, and the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication, and here's the word again, of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. Let me tell you how that culture is much like our culture today. In that culture, it was a culture that was very hostile towards God, which is very much like our culture today that is hostile toward God. But not only that, they were commanded to do something that violated the essence of their faith. And we see that very thing happening in our culture. You just go back a few years ago to when Hobby Lobby was in a battle with the Supreme Court because they were being forced to take part of the Reformed Health Care Act, which would provide the day after pill for all of their employees. And Hobby Lobby took a stand and said, no, ain't going to happen here. And it cost them a lot of money, a lot of energy, and a lot of time, but they won their case. But they were being commanded to do something that violated the essence of their faith, just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were being asked to do. But then in verse five, the herald also said this. He said, as soon as you hear the sound, everybody say sound. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, I don't know what a zither is, but I wanna learn how to play one just so I can say I know how to play a zither. The lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, when you hear it, you must fall down and worship the image, there's that word again, of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now, I want to tell you something that I believe that the Holy Spirit showed me in this passage of Scripture, these two words, sound and image. When culture is trying to get its God inside of us, he doesn't do it blatantly. He doesn't say, or culture doesn't say, stop serving this God and start serving this one. No, he is so much more subtle than that. He uses sounds and images in order to get his God in us. There is no greater influence in our culture to get the God of culture in us than media and music. I wish that I had time to preach right there for a little while. And I may have to come back and revisit that in a few weeks. But suffice it to say right now, we need to be careful what we watch. And we need to be careful what we listen to because the enemy uses sound and images to get its God on the inside of us. There is power in images, what you see. There is power in music, what you hear. And the enemy wants to use both 
to try to get his God, his spirit, his mentality on the inside of us. And let me tell you something. It can happen without you even knowing it. Oh, but pastor, you know, you just understand. I know they say a, a few things that are offensive to God, but it's just a movie. It's just, it's just for fun. It's just, it's just a song, pastor. It's, it's just for fun. No, 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 no. It, it is how subtle the enemy works. He knows that he, if he can get us to laugh at something, then he can get us to accept something even though it is offensive to God. I'm about to go old school and old time on somebody here this morning. We need to be really careful, ladies and gentlemen, what we watch and what we listen to. And then when we go to verse 6, he says, Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. We see that happening in our culture. If you don't do what we tell you to do, there are going to be consequences. You'll lose your job. Yeah, we'll, take away your, we'll take away your business license. We'll, we'll shut you down as a church. If you start preaching that hate speech, even though it's in the Bible, and you start preaching against things like, like homosexual marriage, watch out because we will come in and shut you down. We will take away your, 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 your 501c3 status, consequences that come as a result of that. And notice the threat here that if you do not bow down, you will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound, of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. You see, here's what the majority of the people did. They just kind of looked around to see what everybody else was doing, and they followed suit. They just decided that they would do what everybody else was doing. Let's conform to culture. Let's conform to what everybody else is doing around us. But thank God, there were three young men, and I say young because they're teenagers right about this time, but there were three young men that decided we're not going to bow just because everybody else is bowing. And we're not going to conform just because everybody else is conforming. No, we have a God that is worth standing up for. And so they decided that they were not going to bow. Now, let me just tell you right now, it was easy to distinguish in that culture who was standing for God and who wasn't standing for God. You see, there's a lot of people today that says, well, pastor, I'm afraid that if I take that kind of a stand for God, people are going to hate me. People are going to turn against me. People are not going to want to have anything to do with me. Pastor, doesn't it make more sense if we just compromise a little bit? If we'll just be a little bit more tolerant. If, we, if we'll just water down and dumb down the word of God because there's no way that culture's going to accept the word as it is written. So shouldn't we, shouldn't we consider just compromising and, and being a little bit more tolerant? N listen to me. No. No, absolutely not. There was a clear distinction who was standing for God and who wasn't standing for God. 
a clear distinction on who was still standing when everybody else was bowing. And what this culture needs to see is not a church that's compromising, is not a church that is being tolerant, but is it a church that says, hey, I've got a God worth standing up for. Somebody say amen right there. And so some of these officials can't wait to get back to King Nebuchadnezzar to tattletale on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they go to Nebuchadnezzar and they said, there's some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. Furious with rage, you might as well just go ahead and get prepared. That when you take this kind of a stand for God, culture ain't going to like it. Initially, they're not going to like it. Nebuchadnezzar initially didn't like it, but something changed his mind. And I'm going to show you in a minute what it was. But furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold that I have set up? I'll give you one more chance. And when the music plays, if you'll fall down and worship the image, all will be well. But if you refuse, you will be thrown into a flaming furnace within the hour and what God can deliver you out of my hands then? Oh, that's a good question right there. What God can deliver you out of my hand? He's about to find out what God can deliver. Amen. He's about to find out for himself. I like the way it says it there. Which God is going to be able to deliver you out of my hands? You know, in scripture, hand is always representative of power. It's always representative of authority. Nebuchadnezzar in his arrogance thought he had all the power, thought he had all the authority. Nobody could ever rescue you out of this hand of power and out of this hand of authority, but can I tell you there was a hand more powerful and there was a hand that had more authority than the hand of Nebuchadnezzar and there is a hand that is more powerful and there is a hand that has more authority today than anything that culture has to offer. All Nebuchadnezzar is doing here is trying to intimidate these boys. You do know the Bible tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion. He ain't one Bad English right there, isn't it? He ain't one, but he likes to act like one. He likes to roar like one because he's all about intimidating you. Culture is all about trying to intimidate us to do what it wants us to do, to bow before it. But notice, if you and I, if we're going to stand Strong, stand firm, stand tall in a bow down world, what's it going to require? Well, the first thing that this story tells us is that standing firm takes courage. L listen to me, it takes courage. And these boys did not lack courage, they had some courage. 
Because listen to what they say back to Nebuchadnezzar when he's trying to intimidate them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not worried. We are not worried. Now, maybe your Bible says it like this. We don't even have to defend ourselves against you because we serve a God who is big enough to defend himself. Can I tell you, yes, it's good to defend God, but may I also say God don't really need us to defend him. God is big enough to defend himself. And boy, does he ever hear in this passage of Scripture. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we're not worried about what will happen to us. Now, listen, I'm not saying they did not have any fear. I believe they did have some fear. I I believe that that, that they knew that Nebuchadnezzar was serious about this, that he wasn't just bluffing them, that he would actually follow through and throw them into that fiery furnace. But you and I need to know that courage is not the absence of fear. Why would we even need courage if we didn't have any fear? So don't feel bad if you have a little fear. The reason you need courage is because you have fear. So courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is standing firm in spite of my fear. Oh, and that's what these three Hebrew boys did. They stood firm in spite of the intimidation. They stood firm in spite of their fear. And when they did, something rose up on the inside of them. All of the sudden, it's like the Holy Ghost enheartened them. It was like the Holy Ghost encouraged them. And they were able to stand firm and tall in a bow down world. It's going to take courage. But not only does it take courage, standing firm takes faith. And they didn't have a shortage of faith either. Listen, it says that they looked at Nebuchadnezzar and said, hey, if we're thrown into that flaming furnace, our God is able to deliver us. Look at your neighbor and say, my God is able. He is able. Our God is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us out of your hand, your majesty. Notice how cordial they're being. The Bible does say that when you give an answer for the hope that lies within you, don't do it with a smart aleck attitude, but do it with gentleness, do it with respect, do it with honor. And that's what these young men are doing. Our God is able to deliver us and he will deliver us out of your hand. Now listen to what he didn't say. He didn't say that God will deliver us out of this fiery furnace, but he is gonna deliver us out of your hand. Because we really ain't never been in your hand to begin with. We've been in the hand of God since day one. Oh, somebody needs to know that no matter what happens on Tuesday, that this whole world is still in his hand, in the palm of his hand. He got the whole world in his hands. Come on, give him some praise right there. (laughs) He said, our God is able to deliver us and he will deliver. It sounds to me like they knew we're in a win-win situation here. That we're kind of like the apostle Paul when Paul was being threatened with death. 
And Paul said this in 2 Timothy 4.18. He said, go ahead, do whatever you're going to do because the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. He said it like this another time. He said, I, for, for, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. In other words, if y'all don't kill me, if you don't chop my head off, I'm just going to keep doing what I've been doing. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel. I'm going to keep standing for God in a bow down world. But if you do cut my head off, that's okay with me too, because I'm just going to be able to go and see Jesus. And that's really what I want to do anyway. But notice it was a win-win situation. Every one of us in this room here today, as followers of Jesus Christ, you need to know we are in a win-win situation. Even if we lose our lives, think of the life that you gain as a result of that. You gotta have courage. You gotta have faith. And I think when these three Hebrew boys are being threatened, their lives, that they kind of had a little huddle. They kind of got together. Maybe one of them said, hey guys, do y'all remember one Sunday back in Jerusalem before we were ever taken into captivity? Do y'all remember when that wild-eyed, crazy prophet came to our church? Isaiah telling us that he had a word from God and that we would eventually end up in captivity. But do y'all remember what he said that day? I'll never forget it. Do y'all remember what he said that day? Isaiah 43, one and two. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. Mm, just, Just look at somebody right there and just say, you belong to God. You're his. You're his. He said, he said, you are mine. And then he says, when you walk through the water, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And then what did he say? And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon you. One of them boys had to speak up and say, hey, I remember the day Isaiah, Isaiah came to our church with that word from God. Oh, they had faith. Look, look, verse 18. They said, listen, we believe he's able and he's going to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, please understand, sir, let's be kind. Let's be cordial. Let's be respectful. That even then we will never under any circumstance serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have erected. All things changed then. Then Nebuchadnezzar was even more furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude changed toward them. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter. Listen, the closer we get to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the hotter the furnace is going to get. The hotter things are going to get. And then he goes on and says, and he commanded, Nebuchadnezzar commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, wearing their robes, their trousers, their turbans and other clothes. They were bound and they were thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent. Do you know what that means? He didn't take time to really think it through. How many of you know if you're going to make a plan, you really need to think that plan through. But it was so urgent. He didn't take time to 
to think it through. And it says that the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed his soldiers. Don't you know by then he's probably thinking, hmm, I might have should have thought this through a little bit more. Didn't expect my own soldiers to get consumed by the fire. But it killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's just proof the fire was really hot. And then it goes on in verse 23. He says, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into that blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm just going to give you just just an alert right now. I got a preach coming on me here in these next two verses of scripture. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly your majesty. He said, look. I see four men walking around in the fire. They're unbound. They are unharmed. And the fourth one looks like the sons of God. Oh, listen to me this morning. He never said we wouldn't have to go through a fire. He never said we wouldn't have to go through the furnace. He never said we wouldn't have to go through some trying times. But he did say, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. I'll be with you every single step of the way. Oh, somebody give him a praise. Hallelujah. (laughs) It's like Jesus looked over at the Father and said, Daddy, is it all right if I just go down there and freak Nebuchadnezzar out? (laughs) And he does just that. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. Make up your mind, Nebuchadnezzar. You want them in or you want them out? So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, all these government officials, I love it. God said, I want y'all to see this. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. This was a fire that was so hot it devoured the guards when they threw them in. And this fire, it doesn't even singe their hair. Their robes were not scorched. And there was no smell of fire on them. You know what that tells me? That tells me you can be in the world, but not of the world. That tells me that you can be in your culture, but not coming out smelling like your culture. When you take a stand for God. We got to stand in courage. We've got to stand firm in faith. And then thirdly, standing firm. Here's what it does. It inspires others. Oh, but pastor, I'm afraid that if I take a stand for God, I'm going to offend somebody. Well, you may initially, but eventually when God shows up, you're going to inspire them. That's what happened in this story. Look at it. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I believe this is where God begins to do a work of salvation in King Nebuchadnezzar's life. He doesn't finish it until the next chapter, but I believe this is where he starts it. Because Nebuchadnezzar is now giving praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. But even though God's began the process of salvation, he still ain't been sanctified yet. He still hasn't gone through growth track yet. 
Because listen to what he says. He says this about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He said they trusted in their God and defied the king's command. Now look at this. The king is complimenting them for defying him and doing what they felt their God wanted them to do, defied the king's command, and were willing, oh, we need some folk like this, willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own. I told you he wasn't sanctified yet. Look, therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces (laughs) and their houses be turned into piles of rock. One minute, praise God. Next minute, cut them in pieces. Turn their houses into piles of rubble for, I love this, no other God can save in this way. Is there anybody that believes that this morning? No other God. No other God. And the best is yet to come. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Where? In Babylon. Where? In Babylon. Listen to me. Where? In Babylon. I know that we have a culture that spirit is a godless spirit. It is, it is hostile towards God. But I believe that God can use us to be such light and God can use us to be such salt that even in Babylon, if you take a stand for God, God is going to take a stand for you and God will promote you even in Babylon. He can do it for his glory and for his honor. Come on, somebody say, I'm ready to be promoted today. I'm ready to get the favor of God. So three things practically. And team, come on out and help me here to close this thing up. Three things practically that we need to do. Last week I closed with three I will statements. And I'm going to close with three I will statements this morning. These are things that you and I need to commit to do. Number one, I will stand in prayer. I am so concerned that religion has hijacked prayer. We call prayer, nothing wrong with this, but we call prayer our quiet time. And I think everybody needs a quiet time, a time where you can meditate, a time where you can read your scriptures. But I think that's the problem now with prayer. It's quiet. Well, but pastor, isn't that the way it's supposed to be? The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Yeah, but it don't say be quiet and know that I am God. You can be loud and know that he is God. It's like Daniel in Daniel chapter 6. This man of prayer, this man of God, who himself was being intimidated and told, listen, if you don't stop praying to your God and start praying to the God of Babylon, that Babylonian culture, that Babylonian spirit, if you pray to any other God other than those gods, you're going to be thrown into a den of lions. (coughs) So what was Daniel to do? I tell you what he's going to do. He's going to keep doing what he had always done. 
Now you say, that's kind of rebellious, isn't it? No, I think rebellion would have been if he had never done it before and just started. But it was something that he had always done. Daniel learned that the law, when it had been signed, he went home, knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open. No quiet time here. Toward Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Listen, we need to stand in prayer. We got too many believers today who are even ashamed just to pray over the meal at Los Rancheras after church today. That somebody's going to see you or somebody's going to hear you. We need to stand in prayer. We need to get loud for the God who's gotten loud for us. Stand firm in prayer. Secondly, not only will I stand firm in prayer, I will stand for my purpose. I'm just telling you right now as your pastor, I will never be intimidated to the point that the enemy can stop me from doing what God's called me to do. I will never stop preaching the truth of God's word. I don't care who it offends. I really don't. I don't care if culture accepts it or not. I don't care if they threaten by saying that it's hate speech. No, I'm not going to stop doing, and neither should you. You should never stop doing what God has called you to do. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. He said, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I will stand in prayer. I will stand firm in my purpose. Then thirdly, I will stand for my God. Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 10. And I love the message paraphrase. He said, stand up for me against world opinion. And I'll stand up for you before my Father in heaven. And when I read that scripture this week, it got me to thinking about the position and the posture of Jesus in heaven. And everywhere I would read in the New Testament, it would say that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says that he is seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews tells us that he is seated at the right hand of God making intercession for the saints. So with my head being as curious as it is, I begin to ask, was there ever a time in the Bible where Jesus stood? And I found it. Only one place in the New Testament, and it's in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen full of the Holy Ghost, after being falsely accused, told that he couldn't any longer preach the gospel that he was preaching, stands before the Sanhedrin to give a defense. In Acts chapter 7, one chapter he preaches the whole Bible. One chapter he preaches about the whole plan of salvation. And then speaks the truth to the Pharisees which gets them mad and angry. And they begin to pick up their rocks 
to stone him. And the Bible says that Stephen, full of the Holy Ghost, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus doing what? Standing at the right hand of God. He saw it, but then he wanted them to know what he had seen. He said, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. What am I saying? I'm saying this, that when I stand, Jesus stands with me. When I stand firm, when I stand with courage, when I stand with faith, when I stand for him, he gets up. Oh, he gets up and he stands for me and he stands for you. I wonder, is there anybody in this room here right now that would stand up right now? And say, I take a stand for Jesus. I take, I take a stand for God today. I take a stand for his word. I take a stand for truth. Anybody here this morning ready to take a stand? Come on. To stand firm in a bowed down world. Listen, it's easy to stand in here for him. But what about when you leave this place today? Will you continue to stand for what's right? Will you continue to stand for what's true? Will you continue to stand for what is righteous? Will you continue to stand for what is holy? Will you continue to stand for what honors God and honors Christ? Listen, what this culture needs is not us being tolerant. It's not us compromising. What this culture needs, they need us to take a stand for the glory and for the honor of Almighty God. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God. Being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience it for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.